So good morning listeners and welcome to Come and See Inspirations and this the 7th of August is the 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time. My name is Jan Keeley and help me to present the podcast again today, Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. And how are we doing this morning? We're good. Thanks a lot for joining me. Have you me. managed to dry out? I am. What do you mean dry out? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that didn't that, quite that, come out the way I meant that's it. A, that's <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I should explain to our listeners, uh, we've had a very wet weather-wise yes, yes, few yes. days here in Ireland. Now, we probably did need the rain. People yeah, had... Yeah been suffering from the heat but my god it has been like clouds down on the ground kind of weather and it's just and it's 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 the weather it's just wet but it's not cold like we've like 18 20 degrees so it's 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 great weather for weeds in the garden yes shane i'm glad you explained that (laughs) (laughs) i couldn't leave that go without you explaining that and yes there are loads of weeds in the garden and Mm. loads of time to do it anyway Welcome again, listeners, and thanks again for joining us, especially those who are housebound, lonely, and maybe struggling in some way today. And also, uh, those of our listeners who support us each week in prayer. I know there's lots of our listeners who continue to pray for us and support us in different parts of the world, and thank you indeed for that. Our podcast includes, as one would know at this particular stage, various faith topics, inspirational music, reflecting on the Sunday Gospel. That's the main part of our podcast, and that's right at the end. And all of our podcasts can be heard at comeandseeinspirations.buzzspread.com. That's comeandseeinspirations.buzzspread.com. And, and also on our blog, going back prior to 2017 or 18, I think it is, on sacredspace102.blogspot.com. That's sacredspace102.blogspot.com. Also heard on Spotify and iTunes. And, of course, uh, we do have a presence on Facebook at Come and See Inspirations. You can contact us, and please do so by texting us on 087-6088-667. That's 087-6088-667-00353 if you're outside of Ireland, 87-6088-667. And also email on commonseeinspirations at gmail.com. So for shame, we're just chatting there just before we started the, the programme. Maybe um, there might be some listeners out there who might have choices of music that they'd like us to play from time to time. If you do have any choice of music that you'd like us to play here on the podcast, please email us, and that's on commonseeinspirations at gmail.com. But in the meantime, this part of the podcast is where a lot of listeners like to listen to where Shane's going to take us in terms of saints for the week. So, Shane, what do you have for us this week, please? I love the way he says when listeners like to listen to where (laughs) Shane's going to take them. Yeah, okay, fair enough. So, as John said, we're in the 19th week of Ordinary Time this week, folks. So for those of us praying the Psalter, we're on week three. Uh, Monday is uh, a biggie. Now, I'm actually going to take a slight detour. On this podcast, Monday the 8th of, or the 8th of August is actually the feast day of St. Mary MacKillop. And Mary MacKillop and the Brown Joeys uh, are good friends of our, myself and John over the years. They have, uh, they, they, we've, we've, we started a lot of our online presence uh, with Mary MacKillop's uh, canonization. But of course, on the global calendar, it's also the feast day of St. Dominic, he of the founder of the Dominicans. But first things first, Mary MacKillop is Australia's, I think at this stage, she's their only canonized saint. Officially, she is St. Mother Mary of the Cross. Um, she was born from Scottish immigrant parents. Um, and then she worked as a nursery governess as, and then tutor in Milburn, Melbourne even. She felt a call to religious life but con- but wanted to continue teaching. 
uh, to support her family. And eventually um, she moved to Pretoria where she she met Father Julian Tennyson Woods with whom she opened a free Catholic school for the poor. And as they say, the rest is history. She co-founded the Sisters of St. Joseph the Sacred Heart in 1866, which is Australia's first uh, um, indigenous, well, sorry, not indigenous, that's the word I'm using, native uh, religious order to Australia. Uh, whose mission was to educate poor children in remote areas and they received Episcopal approval in 1868. Her story is an interesting one. Say to people, have a look. And um, there's a great association with her in West Limerick as there's a lot of Irish sisters from this part of the world who are in her congregation. Now, for everybody else, of course, it is the feast day of St. Dominic. Died in 1221, Spaniard who founded the Order of Preachers to counteract the Albigensian heresy in the south of France. And uh, very much, of course, associated. He was he was um, a student of theology and philosophy, uh, ordained priest, and then he was the canon of one of the canons of the Cathedral of Osma in Spain. They were Augustinians, and eventually set out as part of the crusade against the against the heresy. And he set up the the the, the Dominicans. Now, what was interesting about the Dominicans, and just in case people are wondering. Um, they were set up, the Dominicans and the Franciscans were set up around the, around the same time and they were friars, they're not monks, they're friars. So they're itinerant uh, preachers, that's what the order of preachers are. So it wasn't that they were set up to live and work exclusively in a particular monastery. The idea was that they would be out in the towns and the cities of the Middle Ages um, going to where people were doing evangelization and, and so on and so forth. So that's the distinction between the two. So a monk joins a monastery. A friar generally joins a convent. Now it's not a no. Now people say, but no, convents for nuns. No, 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 no. Convento is for the men. So, uh, but it depends on which order, of course, you're talking about as well. So then on the 9th of August, we have the feast day of St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, or otherwise known as Edith Stein. She's another one of the patrons of Europe, and she was born in 1891 at Breslau, which is, was or is now near in Poland. She was the youngest of seven children in a Jewish family. She was a brilliant student and gained a doctorate in philosophy at the age of 25, However, after reading the story of St. Therese of Lisieux, the story of a soul, she became a Catholic in 1922 and then a Carmelite nun. Uh, Being both Jewish and Catholic, she fled to Holland when the Nazis came to power in Germany, but she was captured and sent to Auschwitz where she died in the gas chambers on the 9th of August 1942. And it is said that when she and her sister, who also became a Carmelite, were arrested in the Carmel in Holland, uh, she said to said to her sister, come, my dear, we do this for our people. Um, now, the, the, the people say, well, why was she picked up? Well, it was it was what happened was the, the Dutch bishops condemned the activities and the actions of the Nazis. And in retaliation, they arrested all Catholics who were formerly Jewish or of Jewish families. So that's how they got rounded up at the time. So that's St. Teresa Benedicta, uh, otherwise known as Edith Stein. Then on the 10th of August, we have another big feast day. It's St. Lawrence, the deacon, the deacon martyr. Died in 258 and is seen as a cheerful giver since he was one of the seven deacons of the Church of Rome in charge of the material needs of the faithful. 
when they arrested him and told him to hand over the goods, the temporal goods of the Christian community, he said to have sold everything and presented them with the poor of the city. Obviously, that didn't go down very well. And he was martyred. Now, breakfast warning. So uh, he was martyred. He's traditionally depicted as being um, basically grilled on a a gridiron over a slow fire. And tradition holds it that he's supposed to have said to his um, 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 persecutors, turn me over, I'm done on this side. (laughs) So that said, Lawrence, obviously we don't know if that's true or not, but it's just, it's an interesting one. The 11th of August is the feast day of St. Clare Virgin and, of course, founder of the Poor Clares. Born in Assisi in 1193, died in 1253. She followed St. Francis in his life of poverty and was the founder and leader of the Poor Clare community. She led an austere life and she's also known as the patron of television. Now, this is a weird one, but she was supposed to have been sick in her bed and she wanted to attend mass and she's supposed to have had a vision of mass on. And when she told the other sisters about it, they were all amazed that she knew what was said and what the homily was about and all the rest of it. So it's from that tradition comes her association with television. Uh, the other thing, of course, it's interesting. Um, Claire and Francis, if you visit if you visit Assisi, you visit the basilicas in Assisi where they are both interred. Um, the, the relics that they have belong to both of them is, is, is quite interesting. They have quite a, quite a fairly substantial amount of St. Clair's hair, oddly enough. Um, it's just it's one of those ones kind of they, 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 when, they, when, they were, when they were burying them, they were looking to the future and they were planning. They were planning it out. Now, on the 12th of August, we have a couple of feast days. So bear with me with this because I have to actually switch to the Irish calendar. So on the 12th of August, in the Limerick Diocese, we have the feast day of St. Lilia. So Lilia is a church at Kilili near Toman Bridge, and she is said to have been baptized by St. Patrick. And she is one of our patronal saints here in the Diocese of Limerick. So we have a few of them. The main one, obviously, is St. Munchen, whose feast day we celebrate on the 3rd of January. We have St. Ita, whose feast day we celebrate on the 15th of January. But we also have St. Lilia and St. Nesson as well. So next week, um, on the 12th, we celebrate the feast of St. Lilia. It's also the feast day of St. Attracta, um, who was a 6th or 7th century saint, and her convents were famous for hospitality and charity to the poor. And she was also associated with great healing powers. And she's very much associated with the Diocese of Conray. Then we also, on the 12th, we have the feast day of St. Muradak, um, the founder of the Church of Kelala. So he may also be founder and patron of the Monastery of Inish Murray off the Sligo coast. So uh, Kilala celebrates their feast, uh, their feast day on the 12th as well. On the general calendar, which is the international calendar, we have the feast day of St. Ch- Jane Francis de Chantal, who died in 1641 at the age of 20, married the Baron de Chantal. But after nine years, she was left a widow with four children. She was a great friend with St. Francis de Sales and led to the foundation of the Congregation of the Visitation. So that's St. Jane Frances de Chantal. As I said, she died in 1641. On the 13th of August, we have a couple of big ones again. It's St. Poncian and St. Hippolytus. Poncian was Pope in 231. He was exiled to Sardinia and resigned the papacy so that there might be an active person. 
Pope Callistus was elected. St. Hippolytus was a writer and teacher, had been set up as a rival in opposition to Pope Callistus, was also exiled at the same time to Sardinia. They, he was reconciled with Pontian and both of them died <clears throat> from ill treatment there. On the Irish calendar, we celebrate the feast day of St... How do you pronounce this one now? Give me one second, John. St. Faulkner, founder of the monastery of Ross Carberry. Uh, he died around 600 AD and his monastery became the principal monastery of West Cork and was famous for being a famous scripture school as well. So that's what we have next week. Now, just to mention, the 14th of August is the feast day of St. Maximilian Colby. As that is a Sunday, that feast day is not kept this year. So, John, that's what we have in terms of liturgical odds and ends for this week. Yeah, and thank you very much, Dave, for that. Just before I just go into the notices, just, just to recap on the phone number that I gave for international uh, listeners there, it's 00353. I might have said 00553. 00353 8767 Now, as Shane said, next week is the 14th of, um, of August, but it's also the start of the Novena in Nock, uh, Nock Novena. So the theme for this year's Naveen uh, is a journey of hope, as we look towards the synod and the uh, and the and reflect on the transformative power of hope and resilience in times of of adversity. It says here on the website, a unique feature of this year's Naveen will be a synod tent, where members of the public will be invited to learn more about the synod and what it means for all of us. It'll also provide an opportunity for us to listen to what you think that think Knox Ryan has to offer you and the Church of Ireland at this critical juncture in our history. So to continue on, the daily sessions, uh, excuse me, uh, in the Senate tent take place at 12 noon with a facilitator presence each day to provide structure and facilitate questions and group discussion. The Novena ceremonies will take place at 3 and three p.m. and 8 p.m. in the Basilica each day. Next Sunday, uh, it's out of the Novena, the 14th of August, uh, 3 p.m., uh, the Bishop of Meath, uh, the Most Reverend Tom Dinhan, speaks on what is Christian, Christian hope. 8 p.m., uh, Cormac Henry, a former youth volunteer at Knox Ryan, he uh, speaks on what gives me hope today. The 15th of August, uh, Monday week, Rosinia Ruan, mother of Sorcia Ruan, speaks on the power of prayer in difficult times. That's at 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. Tuesday, the 16th of August, Dr. Nicola Brady, chair of the Synodal Steering Group, she'll speak at 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. on the topic, The Synodal Pathway. What have we learned and what will we do? Wednesday, the 17th of August, 3 p.m. and 8 p.m., Father Terence Harrington, OFM Capuchin, St. Francis of Assisi Parish Church in Dublin, speaks on how can I have hope in my brokenness? Thursday the 18th of August, 3pm and 8pm, Haliana Tesguluk, excuse my pronunciation if it's, if it's incorrect, she is an Associate Professor of the Old Testament in the Ukra- Ukrainian Catholic University in Lviv, Lviv, in Ukraine, and she speaks on A Hope That Inspires. Friday the 19th of August, Lauren Conray, a student, speaks on My Faith Journey, 3pm and 8pm. 3pm on Saturday, Saturday 20th of August, Father Michael McKeever, Diocesan Secretary and, and of the Diocese of Raffo, speaks on Eucharistic Sign of Hope. 
An APM Professor Professor John Feenan, geologist, Methodist, author and broadcaster, speaks on God in everything that lives, a reflection and no doubt see. And on Sunday next, uh, Sunday, sorry, two weeks time, uh, the 21st of August, 3pm, as part of this novena, the anniversary of the apparition actually, where the Bishop of um, Elfin, the Reverend Kevin uh, Kevin Doran, he would speak at 3pm and they would make their place at the feast. And at 8pm, again on Sunday the 21st, Father Richard Gibbons, PP Rector of Knox Ryan, gives a harmony on the vision of hope. And on Monday, to finish up, Monday the 22nd of August, 3pm and 8pm, Bishop Francis Duffy, Archbishop of Toom, speaks on the call of the Lord. The 21st of August, incidentally, is a family day at Knox Ryan, taking place from 11am to 3pm in the beautiful grounds of the Ryan. So that's the that's the, the Novena of Knox, uh, starting off next next Sunday at the 14th. Just to point out that the information is available on knockshrine.ie for those that want to go back in case you missed it. Also, just to say, this, the ceremonies from the Novena are available online on the Knock Shrine uh, YouTube channel for those that won't be able to make it to Knock itself or if there's a particular talk that you want to listen back to afterwards. And also just to say that John and myself, we will be um, looking to you to take some of those reflections and we'll be incorporating them into our autumn scheduling as well, probably October time, um, you know, so f- uh, just just to give people a heads up on that as well. Thanks a lot, Shane. So uh, the prayer that we, we might uh, pray just before we go for our first bit of music today, it's um, it's a prayer for vocations. It might be an opportune time maybe to, to pray this prayer as an awful lot of um, bishops are announcing around the, around the country of um, clerical changes and this involves, of course, less priests being available. But this is a prayer for vocations that we'd like to use this morning. Almighty God, you called us through baptism to be disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ, and you sent us to bring the good news of salvation to all peoples. We pray that those whom God is calling from our community to serve him in priesthood and religious life may respond with generosity and faith, and that they may receive support, encouragement, and spiritual nourishment for the seed of their vocation in their families and in the wider parish community. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So now we go for our first bit of music. The piece of music chosen this morning, um, it's actually um, been given to us by the Medjugorje, um, as part of the Medjugorje Youth Festival. And this is is sung by them, and this one is entitled How Great Thou Art. Come back and join us again in part two, where Shane is going to share some thoughts for us on the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Join us then. Trembles at his voice. How great 
Welcome back to part two of our Come and See Inspirations podcast on the 7th of August. Um, that piece of music that just brought us back in was a traditional Irish Marian hymn stroke song. It's called Vera Vohar. Um, it's basically Mother Mary is what you you would translate that as for our non-Irish listeners. It's a very traditional um, Marian piece. And uh, the the interesting thing is when you're speaking about Mary Osquelga in Irish, uh, there's a specific word that's used for her. It's Mura. Whereas if you're Mary as a like a normal person, it's Marie uh, Mora Mora. So in but in Irish, uh, the Blessed Virgin is her own particular version of the name, which is Mura. So it's an interesting one. Now the reason we bring that up, of course, is that for some strange reason, myself and John decided we would do something about the assumption today. And I kind of realized as we were starting to record this, oh, we could have done this next week. But anyway, uh, but it's fine. It's okay. We're covering the assumption this week. So the feast day uh, is um, celebrated on the 15th of August and it is generally seen as one of the bigger Catholic feasts around the world because even in such places as secular France it is still a big public holiday uh, despite the fact of course it is a Christian and particularly Catholic feast day. So we're talking about the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary so in particular what we're looking at here is a dogma that was defined by Pius the 12th. I always have to count the numbers, folks. Bear with me. So it's one of the four Marian dogmas of the Catholic Church. John, do you know what the other three are? No, you're going to tell me. <laughs> 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 <Should I? laughs> 
Uh-huh. No, no. We know you know them, though you don't realize you know what they are. So the four Marian dogmas of the Catholic Church are Mary's Immaculate Conception. <clears throat> so that is Mary's own conception uh, in the womb of Saint Anne. Then we have the perpetual the perpetual virginity of Mary during, before, and after the birth of her son. Uh, then there's the fact there's the basic one that she is the mother of God. She's Theotokos, which was defined at the Council of Ephesus. And the fourth one is the one that was defined in the 1950s, which is the Assumption of Mary. Now, the interesting thing about the, the dogma is that it's um, it was declared in 1950 in the Marian year by Pius XII. And he was issued it under the Apostolic Constitution. I'm not even going to pronounce it. It's Mun... Munificentiumus Deus, I think is how it's pronounced. Uh, my Latin is extremely rusty and non-existent, where basically he said, we proclaim and define it as dogma revealed by God that the Immaculate Mother of God, Mary Ever-Virgin, when the course of her earthly life was finished, was taken up body and soul into the glory of heaven. And, okay, there's a couple of things about it, I suppose, just to, that we can peruse and go through. So I suppose the first thing is it, it builds upon the logic of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, which was declared in 1854, which declared that Mary was conceived free from original sin. And both of those, of course, obviously arise from the concept of Mary as the mother of God. Now, basically, the logic is Mary's Immaculate Conception um derives from the fact that she is the mother of God. So that God, Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, uh, was born in a, you know, in a human, I hate the term vessel, but that's the term that's used, uh, that was full of grace, as as was set out by Gabriel when he, he greeted Mary in the Gospel of St. Luke. So, um, so it's a follow-on from that then, that obviously if Mary was full of grace, immaculately conceived, she was the mother of God, that then at the end of her natural, as it says, at the end of her normal earthly life, she was able to enjoy the benefits of her son's salvation of all humanity. Now, the interesting thing about it is it leaves open the question of whether Mary died or not. Um, And it doesn't actually say yay or nay, because what the wording actually says is uh, when the course of her earthly life was finished, so um, it's a matter of interpretation how you actually go with that one. And I'll come back to that in a while. Um, there is a similar kind of or equivalent belief, but it's not held as a dogma in the Orthodox churches. And it's known as the Dormition of Mary, of the Mother of God, or the Falling Asleep of the Mother of God. And it's also celebrated on August the 15th. Very much associated, of course, with the uh, the church of that name in Jerusalem, the Dormition, uh, the Dormition Basilica. Uh, where uh, there is a an amazing um, effigy of an older Mary, um, basically on her in her in her in her coffin, to all intents and purposes. It's quite interesting, actually, when you see it. Also, um, there is an interesting uh, tradition in the Orthodox Church. So, for anyone that has been to Jerusalem and you have visited the Mount of Olives, if you have come down the Mount of Olives walking and heading as if you're heading into Jerusalem, you would have passed the Church of the Grave of Mary. Um, It's an Orthodox Church, and obviously from a Catholic point of view, um, well, we don't kind of go with it, so to speak. You know, the dogma is that she was taken up body and soul into heaven, so she ain't there. The tomb is empty. Um, you know, so that that's that's kind of where it comes from. Now, it's interesting, John, just to go back a second, when we talk about those dogmas, what does a dogma mean? So a dogma is something that 
is set out as a keystone of the faith and that we are required as Catholics to believe it. So it's up there like dogmas are like, you know, the Trinity, that Jesus was true God and true man, all that kind of thing. So we have four Marian dogmas. Now, the difference between a dogma, say, and something like, for example, the apparitions at Knock or the apparitions in, in, in Lourdes or Fatima, those are regarded as private revelations that the church has given its blessing to. But as a Catholic, you are not required to believe that Our Lady appeared at Fatima. As a Catholic, you are not required to believe in the messages of Fatima or even in the messages of Divine Mercy or whatever it is. You know, they are part of the, the faith. They are popular devotion, which has received the Church's blessing. But as a Catholic, you are required to believe in the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I didn't know that. I didn't know that... Because I would assume I say probably like most Catholics, if a, if an apparition has been approved like like, mm-hmm. like Fatima, mm-hmm. they'd have to believe it. No, you don't. So um, okay. now most Catholics do. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you don't actually. It's it's not required. It's not one of the things. You know, when you turn up at the pearly gates and Saint Peter uh, rolls uh, out uh, the note and he says, "Right, do you believe in this and this and this uh, and this?" Uh, On the list is not going to be. Do you believe his mother appeared at Fatima? Let me put it to you that way. Good day, thank you. You know, Good. yeah. So that's it's an interesting one. You know, so I suppose in terms of the the the, the, the development of the the dogma, one thing I suppose that we sometimes get pulled up on as Catholics is. Asking, uh, particularly by our Protestant brethren, is where is it in Scripture? Technically, it's not. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because actually the gospel for the Mass of the day of the Assumption is actually the visitation. So um, it is a bit, it is one of those ones which is kind of, in, from a theological and scriptural point of view, very much relies on the tradition of how we interpret Scripture. And in particular, uh, how we interpret um, the Book of Revelation in, in particular, and uh, in 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 after the proclamation of the dogma, the the guy that advised the Pope, he was a guy called Father Yugi. He expressed the view that Revelation twelve one to two was the chief chief scriptural witness to the assumption, and that is a great sign appeared in heaven: a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars, and she was with child. So it's just that's an interesting one. They also, um, you know, so there's there's a number of others as well. If you if you if people wanted to look it up, you can go into it um, on in the Catechism, for example. Um, but going back to the fact, going back to the thing about whether she died or not, John, that's an interesting one, right? Because um, it the, the 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 definition is set up by Pius the Twelfth leaves open the question of whether she died before her assumption or not. Okay. Um, the assumption is said to have been a divine gift to her as the mother of God, right? And most, I suppose, most of the early theologians and the fathers and mothers of the church generally accepted that she probably died. And in tradition, the tradition, the artistic tradition, if you look to what popular piety holds up, particularly in the Eastern Church, if you see icons of the Dormition of Our Lady, what you will generally see is Our Lady lying on a bed, and surrounded by the 12 apostles, or well, 11 plus 1, uh, because tradition holds that they were brought from all the different parts of the world to where she was as she lay dying. And and they they witnessed her dormition, their falling asleep in, in into death, but of course she was not subject to the decay of the grave. Um, you know, it's it's for Mary, I suppose, that one of the arguments is death is a consequence uh, or her lack, or you know, in consequence of her freedom from original sin and from personal sin, 
you know, it wasn't that she was subject to um, the decay of the grave. That's how it's understood. That's how it's that's how it's worded. Um, so you know, um, but it's 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 one of those ones you can sit on the fence. Um, you know, you, many Catholics believe she did not die at all, but was assumed directly into heaven. Um, but it's open. It's open to interpretation. So it's whatever way you want to look at it. Um, the other side of it, as I said, is the thing that it's it's. Um, we the, the Orthodox Church has the Dormition, and it's a beautiful uh, tradition that they have as well. It's not so much dogmatically defined by the Orthodox churches because there are so many of them, but it's rather how it's celebrated in their liturgies, um, and more than anything else, how they 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 they, they set it out and how they mark it. Um, it's we all celebrate it on the fifteenth of August. And uh, but in the east, in the Eastern Church now, this will put it up to you, John. There is a fourteen-day fast period beforehand. Now, Orthodox, the Orthodox community, they do an awful lot more fasts than we do. Like, and I, when I say fast, I mean the real fast. It's not like, oh, I'm giving up meat on a Friday job. That's a bit like a halfpenny job, like like a hail mary pass. Now, this is like, you know, no meat for fourteen days. You cut back on the food. You cut back on the carbs. You offer up a few extra prayers. It's the real McCoy. Yeah, Catholics, to be perfectly honest, once, since the Vatican Council, Catholics have really escaped when it comes to the understanding of fast and abstinence. Mm-hmm. We have it two days a year, folks. It's Good Friday and Ash Wednesday. And it's just like, seriously? <laughs> compared to compared to our brethren in the Orthodox Church who kind of spent kind of most like half the year in fasts. Mm-hmm. Like they have one for Christmas, they have one for Assumption, they have one for Pentecost, they have one, obviously yeah. they have Glint. Uh, then if you go outside the Christian faith and you look to our, our neighbors in Is- Islam where they have Ramadan which is like 30 days and that's like serious, no food, no water, passes your lips while the sun is up. You know, so it's it's kind of one of those ones we should think about a bit more. Would, would, it, you know, would that in, indicate that we've lost that little bit of, I wouldn't say reverence, right, but uh, even belief in it to a certain extent? You know, There's, yeah, you could say that, I suppose. I, but you see, the other side of it, John, is with a lot of things in our tradition is we went to extremes on us. Yeah. You know, and the problem is then the extreme has come back the other way where it's come almost like the baby's been thrown out with yeah, the bathwater. Yeah. Um in an Irish context it's a, it's a genuinely serious question because the the Church of the Celtic Saints, so the Church of St mm. Patrick, mm. they were very strong believers in the power and efficiency of a fast. Uh, and 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 numerous accounts of the saints have them fasting against you know pagan princes to to bring mm. them around to a particular point of view, so it's 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 something I suppose to, you know to, to that form of asceticism is something that maybe we should explore again. You know, I'm not saying you kind of you know it's not exactly sackcloth and ashes, but it's it's also it's an interesting thing how we have lost that tradition within the faith community. Whereas the broader society has picked it up. Yeah. Like if you talk about the keto diet or this intermittent yeah. fasting diet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just it's an interesting one, you know, from that point of view. Well, we just well. lost the focus into why we do it. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's the same as as a fast before receiving Holy Communion. Exactly. Like that's a minimum of an hour. Minimum, folks. Minimum. You well, know, I mean, you know, in all fairness. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, back to mm-hmm. the Feast of the Assumption. We slightly detoured there. So back, we were talking about the Dormition, so which is the Eastern Orthodox equivalent. And they believe that Mary died a natural death, that her soul was received by Christ upon death, and that her body was resurrected on the third day after her death and she was taken up to heaven 
in anticipation of the general resurrection. Now, it's an interesting one. Um, so if you're looking at iconography, sometimes what you will see is, as I said, the general iconography is Mary lying on a bed or a beer, a bar, beer, B-I-E-R. Yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, surrounded by the apostles. And then you will see in the background, you will see an image of her son, uh, Jesus, and he's in you know enthroned in majesty in heaven. And he might be holding a tiny, tiny version of Mary. And the way that's generally interpreted is he's holding her soul and waiting for her okay. or her assumption to reunite it all together. Um, mixed mixed views in terms of our Protestant neighbours on this one. Um, the the it's not held as something that's kind of held as central to to their beliefs. But the feast day of Mary on the fifteenth of August is celebrated by the Church of England. Um, it's also marked by the Scottish Episcopal Church and by the U.S. Episcopal Church. So it's just an interesting one as well. Um, the other thing about it, of course, is that. Um, it's also very much associated with public holidays. So for our neighbours and listeners on the continent, particularly in Europe, it is a big feast day in terms of public holidays. Yeah. Like the month of August, pretty much France shuts down. Um, Italy pretty much does the same. Mm. And the high point of the month is the 15th. That's kind of the day that points it out. Um, there's also different, I suppose, traditionals know, known with it um, and different things associated with it. So for example, in my home parish, uh, the 15th of August happens to be our our, um, patron. our patron day mm-hmm. uh, at a local holy well. So it's the people go to the well to make the rounds and to and to to those mass generally said there as well. So it's it's just it's just an interesting one. I suppose, John, the question is, well, what does it mean for me at the end of the day? For you know, what's the point of it? It's mm-hmm. fine. You talk about the dogma and the history and blah 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 blah. So how does it all fit back to me and kind of like. The whole point, I suppose, of the assumption is that it's a reminder to us of hope and the promise that is made to us. Mary has gone and where we are going to follow, basically, is how you'd sum it up. Because she is like us, um, fully human, uh, suffered in life, mm-hmm. suffered a lot in life, saw her own child die, if you think about it, a most gruesome death. And where she has gone, we hope that that is the promise that is held out to us. She is now enjoying the resurrection of the body as a gift because of her yes to God when she was asked by the angel Gabriel. And that is the hope that is given for each and one, each one of us that calls ourselves Christian and are bound into the body of Christ, that ultimately at the end that we too will share in that, um, that promise that is made to us all. Um, the other thing I suppose to remember is well that it's you know it's 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 also about in one sense the mystery of 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 Jesus himself and it's an event of love you know um, it's 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 generally I suppose um, looking at Mary's ardent longing to be with her son. Um, you know, and it's it's a joyful. It's generally in art. It's generally shown as a joyful reunion with with Jesus. Um, but also, it's it's uh, an interesting one in terms of just reminding us again that uh, 
it is that promise, it is that hope more than anything else that we celebrate on the Feast of the Assumption. So for those of you that might be unable to meet the, um, to, go, to go to Mass, so in Ireland it is actually uh, still regarded, I just now double check that, but as far as I know it's still regarded as one of the Holy Days of Obligation. Uh, just let me double check the order, John. Um, so for those of you that can't make it to Mass on the day, you could also, you could always just pray the, um, what is it, the Fort... Um, Glorious Mystery, mm-hmm, yeah. which is the Assumption of Our Blessed yeah. Lady. Yes, it's a solemnity in Ireland on the day. And as far as I'm aware, it is one of the few days still left on the calendar, which is a holy day of obligation. I'm just looking to check the list here. Just bear with me one second. So, um, John, what about, have you any thoughts on it? Just a thought now that came to me. Maybe you've already answered this question mm-hmm. for me. Um, this dogma um, came about in 1950. Mm. Why did it take so long? Uh, the yeah, it was one of those ones <clears throat> that kind of... Now, I suppose the first thing I should say is it's one of the only two dogmas that have been declared ex-cathedra and using papal infallibility, which is another interesting thing. Um, it was one of those ones that came up because of the Marian year and the bishops had asked the Pope to kind of set it out. So it wasn't exactly something that Pius XII pulled out of his own head. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a huge degree of consultation with the with the episcopacy, episcopacy on it. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of research that was done in terms of what was the teachings of the saints back over the years. And in particular, St. Bonaventure came into this as well. Now, Bonaventure, we'd mentioned him previously in terms of the um, Immaculate Conception. Um, but it was, all, it was also, I think it was just more timing than anything else, John. And... Um, because you know, I mean, so, you know, some people can say, "Well, yes. well, how, how come that? How come that wasn't a thousand years before, uh, fifteen hundred years before?" Or? Well, it, I suppose the declaration of the dogma is taking the view it is setting out this is what we believe, but it's not necessarily saying that it's new. It's saying that this has been the tradition and the belief of the church all down through the centuries, but we are formally inscribing it mm-hmm. on the, the you know the the, the 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 writing if you like the, like it wasn't the pious didn't set it out as it was a new dogma he was basically saying he is setting out what has been the belief of the church down through the centuries and just formally defining it more than anything else okay. um, so that was that was the logic behind it in in 1950 yes just to confirm for irish people uh, the assumption of the blessed virgin mary on the 15th of august is a holy day of obligation uh, so you are actually required to go to chapel. Um, so for the rest of the world, probably not, uh, but just depend. It's something you would need to check in your local diocese. So that's what we have, John, in terms of our, our reflections and thoughts on the forthcoming Feast of the Assumption. So now at the end of that, we are going to have two pieces of music, not one, but two pieces of music for our listeners. Uh, the first is going to be an Ave Maria, and it is uh, Schubert's Ave Maria, sung, of course, by Andrea Buccelli. And then, uh, sorry, before that, we are going to have the, the Tese Magnificat. Okay. Uh, sorry, apologies. Tese Magnificat first, and then to close out part two of the podcast, we are going to have Schubert's Ave Maria, sung by Andrea Buccelli.
So welcome back again to the third part of Common Sea Inspirations. My name is John Kelly, still joined by Shane Ambrose. Thanks again, Shane, for giving us that reflection on the assumption of our Blessed Mother. Now, the, Shane said, well, you know, he didn't know why we were doing it uh, um, this week. Well, actually, he does know, because what we're going to do next week is, uh, next week, obviously, as we just alluded to, is to start off of the novena of Our Lady of Knock here in Ireland. 
And we, we're, we're going to bring a reflection that we had many years ago, nine years ago, Frank, uh, uh, Shane, a reflection on the apparition of Knock and Father Frank Duick and Michael Keaton, two good friends of ours, join us for that programme. So we're going to play that next week, uh, a reflection on the apparition of Knock. Don't you just love the way when he exercises editorial control of the programme, folks? <laughs> I could give you the real reason. That was a nice, that was a nice version. <laughs> but anyway, uh, at this point of the program, we'll try and be serious and we'll try and just be reverent anyway at the moment and say this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it, and our eyes be closed, and our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for that. Thanks for that, Shane. Now, speaking about um, editorial oversight and so on and so forth, I had to bow to the wishes of our spiritual director here next to me, theological director, uh, whatever you want to call him, Shane, because Shane informs you that we're actually going to read the short version of the Gospel this week. So this is the Gospel, of course, according to St. Luke. So Jesus said to his disciples, Sit at your dress for action and have your lamps lit. Be like men waiting for their master to return on the, for the wed- from the wedding feast ready to open the door as soon as he comes and knocks. Happy those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. I tell you solemnly, he will put on an apron. Sit down at the table and wait in them. It may be in the second watch he comes, or in the third, but happy those servants if he finds them ready. You may be quite sure of this, that if the householder had known at what hour the burglar would come, He would not have let anyone break through the wall of his house. So too, you must be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That's the Gospel for this week, for the 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Shane, I thought you might want to share with us, please. Yeah, I'll keep it brief this week, week, John, as he rolls his eyes at me. (laughs) So um, I suppose the thing that struck me about this gospel, so as John said, we've taken the shorter form, uh, which is one of the options that's presented in the lectionary. Um, It links for me back to the gospel we had about two weeks ago, which is the 24th of June, which was that gospel about... um, the, 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 the the persistence in prayer and the, the, the knocking on the door and so on and so forth. And it's kind of linked to that as well because it's a series of kind of short, uh, punchy kind of parables that Jesus has in the Gospel of Luke, um, which are there kind of to get the point across. And again, it's stressing almost the urgency of being prepared. And that is something I think that... Um, we have lost that sense of urgency um, in terms of, I suppose, when, when the, the early Gospels in particular, um, Mark and Matthew were being written, the early Christians were working on the assumption that Jesus was going to come back at any day. And so when Paul was writing his letters or when those Gospels were written, it was trying to say to them, well, we do not know the hour, the time or the place. But either way, Jesus is still saying to them, you know, 
be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. And it's that call to arms, if you like, that sense of get up and be ready. We must do what we must do. And it's that sense of challenging the complacency of our Christian lives that kind of can be the little niggly bit from this Sunday's gospel. Um, because we can get comfortable. We can get comfortable with our routine. We can get comfortable with the way we're doing. But always and ever, we must remember that the real revolutionaries in the world are not your anarchists or your Marxists or your communists or your socialists. They are Christians. You know, Christianity by its very nature is extremely countercultural and has always been so. The problem over the centuries is this whole kind of marriage of convenience between church and state. Not purely from a political point of view, or as, as our American colleagues, our listeners might understand, but in the sense of being very much bound up in the pleasures and panics of the world. That's the issue, I suppose, that's the challenge that's always been there. Now, but it's also that reminder to us, the church is both saint and sinner. You know, she's both the bride of Christ and the whore of Babylon in terms of her behaviour, you know, and the way that 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 we that we act. But that is because... She is both a human institution full of fallible human beings that trip up and make mistakes, but she is also a divine institution founded by Christ as his glorious bride here on earth and to whom he loves and is always taken care of. But going back to the Sunday's gospel, it's like we must be like people waiting for their master to return, ready to open the door as soon as he comes and knocks. Happy those servants whom the master finds awake. You know, it's 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 that whole sense that for me I think John was the the bit it was a bit it was a bit jarring I think this Sunday's gospel particularly that last line of the pericope you must stand ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect now I don't know but I I, I can I can remember my dear grand aunt one of my grand aunts recently died a number of years ago and I always remember when that kind of topic came up for conversation she always used to bring up well have you been to confession have you got clean underwear on. If you were hit by a bus in the morning. And it was like, oh, that's an interesting way of putting it. But it is an interesting way of putting it for Catholics, because that is the question. If you were hit by a bus in the morning and you were suddenly knocking on the pearly gates and asking St. Peter to let you in, how would you be set? Again, it comes back to that sense of that sense of the reverence, that sense of the urgency that we have slightly lost. Now, I'm not talking fire and brimstone. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going that approach. We, you know, as as a community, as a prayer of faith community, we have understood that that's not the way to express the love of God. That's not what we are called to share the good news about. But at the same time sharing the good news should be an urgent imperative with us and that we should be prepared for what may happen um you know and and what you, you know there's that expression you do not know either the time or the place you know in ireland at the moment we have a serious problem with road fatalities and um, the numbers the numbers are back up it's extremely tragic but you know how many of those people going out in their cars did not expect to come home we have a serious problem in this country with suicide, particularly young male suicide. Again, how many families were not expecting to walk in on those types of situations and the challenges that arise from that? So I suppose the question for us is we do not know when our time will be up, you know? Um, <laughs> I was talking to John during the last number of days. I've been working on some some housework and it involved demolition. And there was a couple of times where I was kind of going, oops, I should really be wearing a hard hat. You know, there was nearly something on the head that, you know, but 
while it, while myself and John were laughing about it and you know just talking it through, there's also the serious yeah, side of it, yeah, yeah. you know. So for me, I think this Sunday the the line that is going to bug me for the week is you two must stand ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And I have to say, that's kind of getting under my skin this week and it's really irritating me. So I'm not quite sure where we're going to go with it, but that's obviously what my Lexio is going to be for the week. <laughs> that's where it's going to be. Thanks for that, Shane. And I think, I think we're all of the same, all in really in the same vein of thought this week. Um, again, the same as yourself, like see that you're dressed for action, lamps lit and waiting for the master, ready to open the door when he comes and knocks. And the the message is about being ready to leave this life, as Shane has alluded to there, and enter into a new life after I die. But I also see it as a daily happening. As we go through our daily lives, we come face to face with situations that challenge us uh, in living out the gospel message. The secular world uh, is living by a different message. And as we come up against the various prevailing attitudes and lifestyles that are totally different to what Jesus tells us in the Gospels, to stand up and face these challenges, we need to be ready. We can't do it by ourselves. We need the support of the Holy Spirit and each other as we reflect and share on the Christian beliefs together. So keeping our lamps lit with the message of the Gospel will help us to deal with these challenges and be ready to open the door of our hearts when the Master knocks. That about brings it to the end of our reflections today and our podcast for this week. Thanks again, Shane, for sharing those that information for us on the assumption. Uh, August, of course, as Shane just said, it's a big uh, month in some parts of the world. Um, and certainly here in Ireland, we've got the 15th of August, which has always been a big one. And of course, the Novena at Knock is also uh, features very heavily on the calendar of Catholics. So we look forward next week to listening to uh, a reflection on Knock with our own Father Frank Dewick and Michael Keaton going back about nine years of this day. 2013 is when we first broadcast that. But in the meantime, we go for our final piece of music and I suppose the message of the Gospel this week might be summed up with this piece of music. It's by Hillsong United and this one is entitled Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. So to next week for myself and Shane. Thanks for joining us. Shane, don't forget the wear, uh, the white hat. We need you back again next week. <laughs> In the meantime, from myself and Shane, thanks for joining us. Bye-bye now. Bye, folks. So